You guys stand to your feet if you would. If you have your Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse number, I believe 34, but let me look at it. It might be 33. Here we go, 33. Seek ye first, everybody say first, first. the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Let me read that in a different translation. Today has enough trouble. Don't worry about tomorrow. Bump your neighbor and say, don't worry. I want to talk this morning, and the title of my message is, Ignore the Rooster. Tell your neighbor, say, ignore the rooster. You guys can be seated. Y'all sound great this morning, too, by the way. How many of you has ever felt like quitting or giving up? And, and, and I know we all have our, our church face on, but uh, uh, I want to I wanna be real clear and let you know that you're not alone in that category. On the exact contrary, almost everybody at some point in time has felt that way. And if they didn't feel to the point of quitting, sometimes maybe you don't feel like quitting in general. You just don't really feel like going on. You don't feel like, like, like moving forward. You don't feel like uh, pushing towards the mark, pressing towards the mark. You, you feel like life has gotten heavier than your shoulders can bear. You feel like issues have become the norm in your life. And, and you find yourself thinking and worrying as much or more than you're actually faithing and believing. You see, faith is very much a decision that we make and not something that just bounces into our life. Faith is believing God in the face of adversity. Faith is believing God when everything else looks like you should not believe God. I believe it was Roosevelt that said one time, fear, uh, uh, excuse me, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather just determining that something else is more important than what you are afraid of. You see, the rest of your life, the Bible says, will be the best of your life, but the devil wants to rob all of your desire to see God's hand move in your life in a powerful way, and he does so by trying to get you to worry about tomorrow. Our Bible says that the, that the birds of the air, they don't worry about tomorrow. They don't worry about what they're going to eat. And believe it or not, there's not a single bird on the planet that has a bank account. There's not a single bird on the planet that has an IRA that's completely funded. There's not a single bird on the planet that has uh, uh, all of their financial plans mapped out, yet you don't see the birds worrying about anything. I wish I had the number off the top of my head, but the amount of birds on the planet, I believe it's 25 billion birds on the planet, and there's not one person alive, not one person alive wealthy enough to feed all the birds on the planet for one single day, yet God does it 365 days a year. And you don't see the birds worrying 
You don't see the birds complaining. You don't see the birds robbing the, the, the sorrow of tomorrow and bringing it to today. No, you have enough to deal with. Last week we talked about uh, the decision to not quit today. The decision that you are going to press through, whatever the crowd, whatever the situation, you're going to press through. Today, I want to hit you right between the eyes with a simple thought. I need you to ignore the rooster in your life. We're not going to worry about tomorrow. We're not going to get uh, uh, consumed with what might happen. Did you know 95% of what people worry about never happens to them? 95%. I'll tell you, a, a lot of people are scared of a lot of things. Most people are scared of snakes. But the odds of somebody getting bit by a snake are like one in a million. A lot of people are scared of sharks. And the odds of you getting bit by a shark, especially if you never get in the ocean, doesn't exist. I remember one time, the first time I went offshore fishing, I was, uh, <clears throat> I was with some friends of mine, and, and I didn't... I didn't, I'd never been out on the ocean, I'd never been out there, and we were tied onto this oil rig, and, and the boat was rocking, and it was real sunny, and so it was really hot and everything, and we're sitting out there uh, in the middle of the ocean, and all we had to drink was like Coke and Dr. Pepper and carbonated stuff, and, and man, I was just so thirsty, I just wanted some water, I was sweating like crazy, I said, man, I gotta get, I gotta get cooled off, and I asked the guide who took us out there, I said, man, can I jump in this water, can I swim out here? And he goes, yeah. Now, granted, we had just caught a bunch of sharks right there, but I was, I was really hot, and I was like, man, i got to get in this water. So I said, man, I said, I said, if it's all right with you, I'd like to just cool off for a minute, get in the water, I'll get back out. He goes, yeah, man, we do it all the time, no problem. So he goes, as a matter of fact, I have a snorkel and a mask, and if you'd like, you can swim all around this oil rig. He said, and you'll see some pretty fish. It'll be awesome. I thought, man, fishing and snorkeling on the same trip, I'm in. So I get the, the snorkel mask, or the snorkel and the mask, and I put it on, and I get down in the water, and, and I'm sitting there thinking the whole time, I'm like, we just caught a bunch of sharks. But then I'm playing that statistic over in my head because I'm thinking the odds of me getting bit by a shark is like getting struck by lightning twice on the same day. It's just not very likely. So I'm thinking, man, I'm probably going to be okay. So I get down in the water and I start kicking over to the oil rig and all of a sudden uh, I start seeing some stuff drip down next to me like this. It's going down. And I'm like, well, that's the weirdest thing. And I'll tell you, the first thought I had was a seagull or something must be dropping something in the water and it's dripping down beside me I'm like well that's just interesting and it didn't happen until I got 25 yards or so from the boat so all this stuff's dripping down beside me and before I really turned around after that I looked down and all I see is just a a million teeth coming at me from below just like this all biting all around me and all these fish start coming around me and I'm like man they are mad at me for catching their brother I got to get out of this water and I turn and I start swimming back to the boat and I get on the back of the boat and I'm sitting there I'm like oh, and I'm like did y'all see that and my three friends are laying in the bottom of the boat laughing at me and I'm like what's going on they were cutting up bait and throwing it all around me how many of you know with friends like that you don't need enemies right 
So I'm sitting there. I get back in the boat. I'm like, well, I survived Jaws just like that. There we go. But the thing about it is, even as scared as I was, what I was scared of didn't happen. You see, in your life, in my life, there's going to be things that want to cause you to worry and be afraid. And you've just got to choose by faith. Everybody say, by faith. You've got to choose by faith that you are not going to worry. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not wise. It doesn't mean that we don't make good, solid decisions and fundamental decisions. It just means that we're not going to waste one minute of our day worrying. The world's a lot different than it used to be. It used to be a couple of hundred years ago, you would be born and you would probably live and die within about a 25-mile radius. You would probably, from the time that you were uh, a baby to the time you were about 15 or 16 years old, you probably wouldn't have contact with many more than 100 or 200 people in 15 or 16 years. Now, you will have contact with that many people before you leave this church building. You will have contact with that many people whenever you go eat at uh, Chick-fil-A after church. Wait, no, you're not. Today's Sunday. You'll have that much contact wherever you go eat. It's a different world. But so many times we, we plan our life out. And even if we never write it down or say it, we have the thought, when I'm this old, this is how it'll be. When, I'm when I have this many kids, this is how it'll be. When I'm this, uh, this is how it'll be. When I grow up, I'm going to live here. And then you find out, listen, you thought you were going to live in Portland, and now you live in College Station, Texas. You thought, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live my life in New York City. And here you are in College Station, Texas. You ought to be on your knees thanking God. I've been in New York. You don't want to live in New York. But here's the thing. You, everybody's life, most oftentimes it doesn't happen exactly the way you think. But that's not a reason to be worried. That's not a reason to be hesitant. That's not a, a reason to be in fear. Did you know nowadays... Most people change jobs seven times during the course of their career. Seven times. And when you change uh, jobs, positions, or professions, do you realize the gravity of change that is on your family? Everything feels up in the air. College students now average uh, over two times that they change their major in the course of a four- or six-year degree plan, depending on how close you were to my degree plan <laughs> or the path I was on. It's a very different thing whenever you begin to recognize, listen, I know I have reason to be afraid. I know I have reason to be worried, but I'm just refusing not to. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about ignoring the rooster in your life. Last week we made it clear that uh, quitting is not an option for a Christian. Quitting is not uh, uh, an option that a Christian should even uh, uh, give any thought to. But what I want you to recognize before you leave is Jesus loves you so much and knows all the struggles you're dealing with. Maybe you don't feel like quitting. Maybe you are just on that moving on side of it. But maybe it's because you'd say this, you know, more than I would prefer, I just feel tired. More than I would prefer, I just feel stressed out. More than I would prefer, I find myself, this is a big one, I find myself feeling angry. And not just with the television and 
the people I bump in out on the street and in the world, but I find myself angry with the people who I love the most. Maybe you don't feel like quitting. Maybe you just don't feel like going on because you feel insecure. Maybe you feel like nobody likes you. Maybe you feel like everybody is against you. Maybe you feel like what you have done in your past is somehow stapled to you like a neon sign and everybody that sees you is seeing what you did and it's flashing what you've done and you feel insecure because you feel like everybody is looking at the old you when you're doing everything you can to try to live like the new you. Maybe it's not just insecurity, maybe it's a complete lack of self-confidence. Maybe you're the most competent person at the company where you work, but you still feel self-conscious whenever you bring a good idea to the table because somebody else is louder, because somebody else is more prominent, because somebody else has more attention or the spotlight's on them. Maybe it's a self-confidence or, or maybe in the one that I'm probably going to pick on the most today. Maybe it's because when it gets down to it, you feel like a hypocrite. Not because, you, not in maybe the grand sense, or, or maybe in the grand sense. The word hypocrite, literally, uh, uh, from the Latin and Greek word that, 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 that it comes from, literally means like a stage actor. Like somebody who is acting a way that they are not. And maybe, maybe you, you, you have the feeling like, I'm not really going to quit, but I don't know if God can use me like this because I feel like my whole life has become an act. I, I feel like I, I have like one or two good days and then I've got three bad days or I've got three great days and I've got one bad day. And as soon as you have that bad day or that bad encounter or that bad experience or that bad thought or that bad thing, now all of a sudden your mind begins to tell you that that you are not what you say you are. You are a hypocrite. Your mind tells you and pounds on you and the world tells you and the enemy comes in when, you, when, you, when you're feeling the worst and he begins to tell you, you're not. If you were really a Christian, you wouldn't have done that. If you really love God, you wouldn't have done that. You've been saved for five years. You shouldn't act like that. What's wrong with you? Why do you keep doing those things? Why? And, and you don't, you don't want to feel bad. You just feel bad. And you feel like I'm not what I could be or I'm not what I should be. And maybe, 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 it's, maybe it's like this. Maybe, maybe you get in the car and you're on the way to church and you got you and, and your husband or your wife and you got the kids in the car and you're driving down and every single restaurant that you drive past, the kids say, can we have McDonald's? No. Can we have Burger King? No. Can we have Shipley's? No. Can we have Chick-fil-A? It's Sunday. And then you look, and one of them doesn't even have shoes on. And you're like, oh, Dios mío, I got to get some shoes. 
So you swing into Walmart, you buy the cheapest shoes you can find, which now they become their favorite. And the Nikes that you paid 50 bucks for, they throw those in the closet somewhere. So they're wearing the 99-cent shoes to church, proud as a pumpkin, walking in. And you're sitting there thinking, these doggone kids didn't do anything I said. And they go, they go, Mom, I just want to give you a hug. And they come to give you a hug, and you realize instantly they did not brush their teeth. Did you know you don't have to be a dentist to know if your child brushes their teeth? Just give them a kiss. You get there and you're like, oh my gosh. And, and then, then, then you, as you're walking out, you, you, you look in the back and they had a chocolate milk because, you know, you, you slept a little late. They didn't eat their breakfast at home. So you got their breakfast in the car. They're eating a Pop-Tart. They got a chocolate milk. And the chocolate milk spilled in the car on the way to church. And they didn't even tell you. And you're looking back there and you're like, everybody's walking by and you see somebody on, the, on our wonderful First Touch team, the parking minister, like, God bless you, welcome to church, come on in. And you're sitting there and you're like, oh, hey, brother, how's it going? And then you stick your head in the car and you kind of close the door like this. You go, when we get home, I'm going to, every, I'm going, when we get home, it, I'm t- the milk, the she, when we get home, oh, God bless you, brother, yeah, God's been good to me. Woo! Can't wait for that worship in there. I know that preacher's going to preach. When we get home, it is on. Everything you like, everything you like belongs to me now. (laughs) And you get him out of the car, and you get to one of our wonderful First Touch greeters. We have the best First Touch team on the planet. Come on, give God a big hand of praise. You walk them up to the first greeter, and you're like, hey, these are my three kids. They have other names, but we just call them Faith, Hope, and Love. (laughs) And little Johnny says, Dad, tell them that joke you told me. That's not for church. Somebody waves from across the way. God bless you, but you're feeling like every failure and every shortcoming is on display. You're not wanting to feel like a hypocrite, but if we're really honest, we just feel like we should be further along than we are. Jesus is having dinner with his closest friends, his, his closest followers, the disciples. They're in a place uh, we call the upper room, which literally just means an elevated room on the second floor. And they're sitting there, and Jesus uh, begins to tell them about how they're going to kill him, and uh, he's not going to be there long, he's just going to be three days, and, and all the things uh, about what the crucifixion was going to entail, he begins to talk about it, and he says, you know, even one of you sitting around me is going to uh, uh, betray me and, 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 and uh, turn me in. And Peter says, well, i tell you what, these rascals, see, Peter was, was one of Jesus' closest Jesus had hundreds, if not thousands of people that followed him around almost everywhere he went. But he had a a dozen or so that he taught personally, that gleaned directly from him. And then there were other times when Jesus would say, you know what, I got to talk about some stuff 
that the 12 of y'all aren't ready for, but Peter, James, and John, you guys come with me. And he would pour into those three. Peter was one of the three that Jesus would really pour into. And so he's standing there when Jesus, or sitting there when Jesus says, somebody's going to deny me. And, and Peter says, man, I would never do that, Lord. I would, they, these might, these might do that, but I would never do that. And Jesus looks at him because God knows everything. And he says, look, before, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will personally deny me three times. Peter's like, oh, there's no way I would do that. And sometimes that's how we feel when we, when we have done a thing, we repent, and then we think, I'll never do that again. I'll never let that get under my skin again. I'll never be a part of that conversation. And then before it's over, you find yourself there. Jesus is arrested in a garden and he's taken before, uh, I would call a kangaroo court to determine his fate. And in Matthew 26, verse 69, the Bible says that Peter is outside of where he is and a damsel, a lady came to him and said, hey, you were with Jesus, Peter. But he denied him saying, I don't even know what you're saying. I don't know what you're talking about. When he was gone out into the porch, another uh, lady saw him and said unto him, uh, hey, th th said unto him that was there, he said, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied, this time, listen, with an oath, I swear, I don't know the man. After a while came unto them that stood by and said to Peter, surely, surely you are also one of them. For your speech gives you away. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus which said unto him, Before the cock crow, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter was with Jesus for approximately three years. Jesus told him, this is what you're going to do. Peter denied the fact that he would do that. And if we're honest, maybe that's where we find ourselves at times. And as soon as he did what he wished he hadn't, that's when he heard the rooster. That was generally speaking on a Friday. So Saturday morning, when he hears the rooster, and I don't know about you, but I've been around chickens and whatnot. Roosters don't just crow in the morning. And in this day and age, when this was written, they didn't have Kroger or Sam's or H-E-B to bring us dozens and dozens of cold eggs. So the only way that you were going to have eggs was you had to have chickens. And the only way you were going to keep having chickens is you had to have at least one rooster. <laughs> Peter spent three days hearing the rooster constantly 
crowing. Every time you walk down the street and you walk past a chicken coop, the rooster was crowing. And I could almost picture the devil pinching the legs uh, of the roosters in his life. Just, come on, crow, come on, crow, come on, rooster, come on, cock-a-doodle-doo, come on, rooster. And, and, and Peter's just walking by, and all of a sudden, every time he hears the rooster, he's reminded of what he was. He's reminded of what he did. He's not trying to feel this way. He doesn't want to feel this way. Yet he is reminded of what he did. In your life and my life, we've got to make sure, because let me just say it like this, the rooster's not going away. Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, there will be a rooster in your life telling you you don't measure up, telling you you haven't made it, telling you you shouldn't have done it again, telling you you shouldn't have had that thought again, telling you your life is not what it could be because you've messed it up so bad. But you've got to decide, no matter how loud the rooster crows, I don't listen to a rooster. I answer to a lamb. Walking the streets, no doubt ridiculed. We really don't have any reference to what the disciples were saying to Peter at that time. We know Peter was, was with them, but we really don't have much of a reference. I don't know if maybe he didn't tell them that he denied Jesus. There's there's, there's, there's people in your life and my life that will never know some of the things that we've done. And can I just say this? That's really okay. You are not what you've done. You are not what you used to be. And bless God, this time next week, you're going to go from glory to glory to glory. But the key to this whole thing, when it comes to a sustained life of Christianity, a consistent pressing towards the mark, is you've got to ignore the voice of the rooster. We have a mentality in, in, in society, even if we don't say it, but it's almost like we just naturally believe in a three strikes you're out mentality. But when Jesus taught, he told his disciples, if somebody offends you seven times, 70 times, I need you to forgive them. But the thing about Jesus is he never asks us to do something he's not already doing. He said, everything you see me do, it's because I saw my father do it, and I want you to do what you are seeing me do. So we have to throw the score sheet out the window when you repent, when you say, I'm sorry, when you give your life to Jesus, you don't change the scoreboard, you destroy the old scoreboard and get a new scoreboard. 
But that doesn't mean that the rooster won't crow. It just means you don't have to listen. Stand to your feet, please. Last week, I asked you to just make a decision. That you're just not going to quit. If you make a decision to not quit, you cannot lose. This week, I'm going to ask you to add to that. I know it sounds funny. But I'm going to ask you to ignore the roosters in your life. That doesn't mean that we're not wise. That doesn't mean that we don't make decisions. That doesn't mean that we don't make adjustments when necessary. But what it does mean is the prominent voice in my life, in your life, is going to be, what does this book say? What did Jesus say about my situation? Because the story, at least Peter's next chapter, ends like this. When Jesus rose from the grave, the girls, Mary and Mary Magdalene, Jesus' mom and Mary Magdalene, went to go and uh, uh, see the, the tomb that Sunday morning, Resurrection Day. There was an angel sitting on top of the stone that had been rolled away. And the angel looks down and tells the girls, Hey girls, Jesus is alive, just like he said he would be. He said, but I want you to deliver a message for me. Go tell his disciples. And then he said this, And tell Peter that I have risen, that he has risen, just like he said. I have found personally that when we feel the most ostracized from God, it's when we have the greatest opportunity for him to call us by name. I have found when you feel yourself at your lowest low, it's when you will find him the closest. Isn't it interesting when your child is close to something that is dangerous, say this were a cliff, when they're close to the cliff, me, their father, I'm going to not have one hand on them, I'm going to have both hands on them. Because when you are at a place where you are listening to the rooster more than you're listening to the lamb, you are at a dangerous place where the enemy is trying to push you over the edge to get you to quit, to get you to stop moving forward. And it's then when the shepherd, the Bible says in Psalm 23, that his rod and his staff, that staff has a wonderful hook on it, that staff, they comfort me, which says even when I'm this close to the edge and I'm feeling like I might not be doing everything that I could have done and I feel like my life could be better, should be better by now, I know that he's never left me, he's never forsaken me, and his staff is comforting me even now I'm not denying the issues I'm just saying he's bigger than all of them I'm not denying the problem I'm saying he's a problem solver I'm not denying our situation I'm saying he's a changer of situations so this week ignore the rooster bow your head and close your eyes please if you're here today and you're not right with God